Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight in this very special episode of the podcast show. Tonight, my guest is Brittany Q. Rose. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, thank you so, so much for having me. So Brittany has been diagnosed with a medical condition called secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, and that was at the age of 30. And it was a real big wake-up call for her, because at that moment she had to make a decision to become a warrior or to lie down to this. And she chose to stand up and to fight and to move forward. And I'm thrilled to be able to say that she is multiple, multiple things to many people. She's a wife, she's a mother, she's a daughter, she's a motivational speaker. She is a writer, a singer, songwriter, a motivational vocalist, and an advocate for change for the younger generations living with disabilities. Wow, that's an amazing bio there in just that one sentence. So I'm thrilled to have you here, Brittany. And um, let's just first start with your a little bit of your past. You know, where did you grow up? What brought you to this point of multiple sclerosis at age 30? Okay, so I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. I lived there in the suburbs of Massachusetts till I was about 13. And then I moved to Southern California to attend the Orange County High School of the Arts. I've been a singer since I was four years old professionally throughout New York and Boston and then California. So yeah, I grew up on the East Coast. I'm so glad that I'm not there now. <laughs> as far as the weather goes, I, my body cannot handle the cold <laughs> at all. But yeah, so I moved to uh, Southern California when I was 13, and I've been here ever since. Flopped back and forth between East Coast a little bit, but I am solid in my my Californian ways now. Okay, and then the age 30, that life changing event happened. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's funny. I had known, I think, for maybe about. Gosh, looking back probably about 10 years that something was off with my body. And, you know, you go through things, you get really busy. I was a theater kid. I was always in musical theater. I was always performing, traveling for performance. So very, very hectic, busy schedule. And you ignore things. You ignore things that are happening with your body saying, okay, well, I'm super, super busy. It's stress. It's anxiety. It's you know family. It's a to do list that's a mile long, and I only have this much time to do it. So I really kind of put everything on the back burner and kept pushing. As a performer, that's what you're taught to do: keep going. The show must go on. Whether you're bleeding or you're missing a limb, you get out on stage and you make it work. And that's kind of how I had the mentality in my life of okay, well, I have to keep going regardless of what's going on with my body. 
So it was in the summertime of 2019 where basically my body kind of started screaming at me. I'm <laughs> saying, okay, lady, something's wrong. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. And I noticed it when I would stand in my bedroom after I get out of the shower and I would try to put my underwear on and I couldn't lift up my left leg. And it's the funniest thing because I figured it out. I made it work to turn my underwear into a little lasso and lasso it around my leg and then yank it up. So I did figure it out. There was a silver lining to this, but I noticed that it was getting worse. I'm like, okay, why can't I lift my leg? I can't lift my leg went to my primary physician and you know he did all the in-office tests and everything. And he said, you know what? I want you to see a neurologist. And I'm thinking, okay, really? Come on. I had fallen down the stairs pretty severely about four months prior to all of this happening. So in my head, I'm like, okay, slip disc. I disaligned something. Something got whacked out of line. You know, case closed. Slip disc probably will need, you know, physical therapy and that's about it. Turns out it was not. I saw the neurologist. She immediately wanted to do MRIs with without contrast. And within three weeks of my first doctor's appointment, I was diagnosed with secondary progressive MS. And she had diagnosed me, I guess normally people are diagnosed with relapse and remitting, which means you get symptoms, they go away. You get them, they go away. I guess I had progressed already so quickly that she thinks that I've been dealing with multiple sclerosis for over 10 years. My new neurologist now thinks I've had it even longer than that. So it's been crazy. <laughs> right, right. So this is a prolonged period of time on, on hindsight. You know, vision's always better go, going backwards than forwards in these cases. And so what does it mean? for a person to suffer with chronic pain with this form of multiple sclerosis? It's funny. I have been experiencing physical pain for years. I am very emotional. I wear my heart in my sleeve. And when I would get stressed out, overwhelmed, anxietal, sick, my body would react with sharp pains in my back, awful stomach pain where I'm doubled over. So then I start thinking, okay, well, is it my diet? Is it IBS? You know, stuff like that. And I had been dealing with these things for years and not knowing. So having a label or to have a face to what the demon I was dealing with was definitely reassuring and validating. But also, you know, on the onset of the diagnosis, it was a shock. It's like, okay, you know, my husband and I had just gotten married. We were still in the honeymoon stage, you know, just bought a new house. And it's like, oh, hey, guess what? <laughs> Here's a chronic illness, <laughs> you know? So, but it's funny. And I did kind of piece together things as far as a timeline goes. About seven, eight years ago. And again, if, if you're listening to this and you know anything about me, you know that I'm very transparent. I tend to have no filter. <laughs> and, and I think that there's, there's something to be said about that because so many people are so cognitive of telling their story and putting a filter. It's like, you know, we're not on Snapchat here. So put all that aside. Seven, eight years ago, I was in a very abusive marriage, married the wrong person. And emotionally, it was affecting me so much that it was causing me physical pain was having a hard time moving, 
headaches, migraines that were making me violently ill, pains all over my body, sharp, sharp shooting pains. And again, I just chalked it up to, well, I'm, you know, going through a depression at the time. I was so mentally and emotionally gone that I didn't at the time put two and two together that being in an emotional state that destructive and disastrous could cause your body to mimic the same thing. Exactly. It's this is what I hear in my clinic all the time is how emotional depression or emotional repression, you know, you mentioned as a child, you've got this performance arts world where you just go, go, go. And all these feelings are pushed down. And here you are in an adult married relationship, abusive relationship, and all these symptoms are coming out and spilling over. It's like the body's trying to say, hey, don't do it, or hey, stop, or this is not right. This is not working out. But we march on. And um, for you, it came out through an inflammatory state in the nervous system called multiple sclerosis. Could you just share with the, the audience, like, what is, how do you diagnose that and specifically, you know, when you go to your neurologist, what do they do to diagnose it? Sure. So when I initially went to my neurologist, she was actually, she was with Kaiser. Now, my husband and I did switch insurance just to have a, a broader option in the U.S. Of, of doctors and, you know, accessibility, where we're located, et cetera. But she was able to diagnose me really, really quick through a series of MRIs. Gosh, I think she did a CAT scan. She did probably about five or six different MRIs. She did say that she could have done the spinal tap also if I wanted that like permanent mark, but it was 99.99999% positive that it was MS. I'm like, you don't need to do a spinal tap. I'm all set. We're good. Thanks though. I'll come back later. So yeah, I mean, I did blood tests. I did in-office tests where she was checking, you know, spasticity and checking my reflexes. And it's funny, my left side is the side that I've lost tons of mobility. Basically from the knee down, I have dropped foot. So I have been dragging my leg behind me for years. And one thing that she told me, she goes, I want you to go home and I want you to look at all the pairs of shoes that you have. Find shoes that you haven't worn in years, if you can find one. Me, I am a hoarder with shoes. They're everywhere. My poor husband, he deserves a medal. Thank you, husband. And I found shoes that I hadn't worn in years and compared the left to the right. And the left was all worn down and the rights all looked relatively worn for you know how many ever times I wore the shoes. So it was a lot to take in at once. I won't lie. I ugly cried like a sociopath for probably a month. <laughs> and that's okay. So many people think when they, you know, are hit with a traumatic event or traumatic news that it's like this death sentence and they can't cry and they can't feel and they can't be emotional. It's like, we're human. We're going to all grieve in a different way. There's nothing around that. There's, there's nothing that we can do. There's no rule that says, okay, you can cry for this amount of time. And then after that, boom, light switch, then you're all better and pull it all together. It doesn't work that way. So I did my ugly crying and then I snapped myself out of it. <laughs> and then what happened? Did that change things for you? It did. I have always been into writing. I have been writing music, which is 
been such an amazing experience. My co-writer is actually my mother who lives with fibromyalgia. So it's a very funny aspect that we have with our songwriting team now that we're both fighting, you know, pretty aggressive chronic illnesses. So to me, it's, it's like, it's such a beautiful thing now. But I've always been in touch with writing about my story, whether it had been through music or through journaling. So when I got the diagnosis, I told myself, I'm like, okay, I have been struggling to find a purpose, struggling to find my reason as to why I'm here. And I know it's not just, you know, singing blues for you know, a a label that wants to hear specific songs that are marketable or what's on the radio right now, or, you know, to perform in a show or to do this or do that. It's like, there's so much more to what I have to offer. So I think it was kind of a moment of fruition of saying myself, okay, I have something. It's going to change my life. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't change it. I have to keep going and the show must go on. So I'm either going to wallow and ugly cry for the rest of my life, or I'm going to put on my big girl panties, lasso my underwear around my leg that I can't lift up and make it work. And that's what I've been doing. And that's what I want to continue to do. So it's been not only a healing process for other warriors that have that I've been able to connect with, but it's also been a healing process for me as well. Exactly. Exactly. That's something that when I have enough courage to talk about with patients and I know patients for long enough, I get onto the subject of purpose. This, what is the purpose of this? Because it's a deep question and not everybody gets it. And it's, I'm very aware of how this could be seen as inappropriate, especially as a physician talking to patients. But I really think, you know, the lessons of my life and the lessons with my patients, if we can get to that point, then the fruit can come from it. As you say, the purpose in your suffering is you're helping not only heal yourself, but other people. And I think there is no better thing in this world but to serve other people. And there's lots of ways to do it. you know. And I think it's very, very commendable that it's such a short period of time you figure this stuff out and now you're on a journey of, of self-expression and, you know, by the sense of things, all heart, which is so important to bridging that brain-heart connection that the studies at a place called HeartMath in California have done for over about 30 years, showing healing happens when we connect with our heart. And it may be in writing, it may be singing, it could be anything, helping your neighbor or anything. And that's where the gems lie, you know, deep within the suffering and, and layers of that you've been talking about, the physical plane. So just share with us, you know, what's been some of the the healing stories you've had, like with yourself and other people, because of this stand for advocacy and people with disabilities and just moving forward in your life? Sure. I think one topic that I'm constantly speaking about is perspective. You know, we can walk through life focusing on how miserable we are and the misery is basically going to increase and it's going to build. It's almost in a way like saying you are what you eat. If you're eating fast food and you're eating soda, your body is going to reap the effects of that. It's going to have a negative and adverse effect on your body. So 
mentality, I believe, is very much the same. If we tell ourselves we're in pain, it's only going to exacerbate it. It's going to make it worse. So recently, as far as my healing journey, like I said, I went through the ugly crying stage and it was atrocious. And, you know, my family put up with whiplash personality. (laughs) I feel like I have like a disclosure to apologize to like everybody for that first month. It was crazy. It was so crazy, but it's human, you know? And again, it's like, don't let anyone tell you that there is a right or wrong way to grieve. There is not. You know, if you want to put on a chicken suit and run around your neighborhood screaming, I'm a pickle, if that works for you and makes you feel better, then go get the suit, go run around and do it. But to me, it was, I guess, in a sense that I knew for so many years that there was something disconnected, there was something wrong. And I literally, I remember 10, eight eight to 10 years ago being in that marriage and being so depressed that. I remember calling my mom one day and I had my toothbrush in my hand and I called her and I said, mom, something's wrong. And she's like, what's wrong? Everybody knew that something was very wrong in my life. I just wasn't um, open to actually seeing the reality of the situation at the time. And I go, I don't know how to brush my teeth. And she, I think she thought I was joking. And I literally said, no, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I was so cognitively gone that I had lost basic hygienic needs for myself. So I think when I got diagnosed, be it that it was so soon, it was only, it was less than six months ago. It was kind of like a, it almost felt like a blessing. And I know that sounds so weird and it's not going to make sense to a lot of listeners. And I'm so sorry if it doesn't. But it was validation that I wasn't insane, that there was something physically disconnected. But it was also reassuring that, okay, now I know what it is. Now I can fight it. It has a face. It has a name. And so do I. Come at me, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I so understand, you know, where you're coming from with this perspective. And it changes everything. It really does. And when we do need to just, uh, I love what, what my mentor says to me when, you know, you go through t- tough times, it's like, slow down, stop, and reflect. That's it. Slow down, stop, and reflect. Because we all go through different things at different times, and none of us are exempt in this path of being human. But when we do that, we give space. And I think within the space, there's allowed to come up answers or clarity or you know time for crying or whatever it may be time to talk to your mom whatever it may be you know but we need it you know in this high-paced life that you've lived as a singer songwriter and that many of us live as in the rat race you know we need to slow down and just stop and just take heed of what is actually happening and sometimes we need a knock in the head in order to do that right this was definitely my knock in the head yeah (laughs) and it's crazy it's crazy the way it is but then you know we can break through into a new awareness as you said a perspective you know you've got your writing you've got your public speaking you know you're getting your your message out of look there's more to this than just the suffering you know there's more to this than the label there's more to this than the symptoms Yes, absolutely. 
And the more we can do that, we'll just fulfill, I think, our purpose and whatever that may bring us and down the path. I'm going to share something with you. I was going to share this after the show, but I'm going to share it with you live here because I think it's really important. I've had several patients over the years who've been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis as young women, just like yourself. And 20, 30 years later, they would go back to the professor's office and the professor would say, well, you know, do you want to go on the medications now? And they would say, well, why? Because I'm fine. And they couldn't understand why they were so fine, like 20, 30 years later with different forms of MS. And what I learned from these patients was when we can free ourselves from the label, and there's a place for having a diagnosis and label, as you've clearly stated today. But after a while, if we can free ourselves from that label just to be who we are and our choices and our perspectives and our mentality and our mindset, that we can literally tap into this healing potential that is in all of us, deeper, deeper than the physical form and the mental layer and the emotional layer that we go in, like deep within our soul, I believe there's a program for healing and it comes out if you cut your arm, the skin heals, it comes out if you break a bone, it, we heal. And I've seen cases of chronic pain, you know, for 50 years disappear with this type of approach, which would not come to me, you know, in, in simple training or just my learning and understanding but when you see people's lives transform with a place of like as you're saying a mindset and training this brain into the possibility and it's just the possibility the possibility that healing can come from deep within you so i just thought i'd like to share that with you because there's a long path ahead for us Absolutely. and we don't know what it is going to be like we don't know what the outcome is going to be and that's not the point the point is opening ourselves to the potential of full healing within us, because I've seen it. You know, I think how you're doing and what you're doing is just absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. It's, it's a great testament to your spirit and um, an encouragement to everybody who's, who's listening tonight and also are on a path of suffering and disability. It's so funny. It's like when you give and you acknowledge the negative, all you're going to notice is the negative. Right now, if I am cognitive of what I'm feeling physically, literally right this moment from my knee down is completely tingling, my right shoulder blade is asleep, and I've got pain in my lower back, I could sit here and think, ow, my leg, ow, my shoulder, ow, my back, and that's all, it, shoulder, neck, back, shoulder, neck, back, shoulder, neck, back. Instead of saying, okay, it exists, and now from the knee down, I call it knee glitter, because literally it's tingling, it almost feels like glitter. So I'm like, I've got permanent glitter in my leg. But again, it's tingling and it hurts, or hey, it's leg glitter. Which do you think your brain is gonna think is more positive and more appealing, you know? And it sounds so crazy, but you can honestly, you can take any sort of situation, and if you change your mind and you change the way you look at it and look at the bigger picture, you can make it a learning experience, something positive, something inspiring, something that's going to help others. It, it is. It is exactly what you said of retraining. It is completely retraining. So true. Okay, Brittany, please leave us with 
a final comment, and then I'm going to ask you if you give us some resources for our audience to follow up with you and you know, follow you on social media and everything that you're getting up to. But first, can you give, maybe give us a statement or a leaving comment to summarize what you've learned on this journey? Sure. Okay. Huh. Biggest thing I have learned, keep sharing your story. I often, just like anyone else, you know, have moments of self-doubt. Am I saying too much? Am I portraying the message that I want others to be impacted by? Are they going to listen? Do they like me? Do they think I'm weird? Probably. You know, it's so easy to allow all of these thoughts to flood our minds. And I swear on this truth, like I know my name, every single time that I have a moment of self-doubt or even seconds later something will happen to reassure me that I am on the right path. I'll receive a message from someone on Instagram telling me how much they needed to read my blog post on that day or how much they were moved by my willingness to be real and authentic, regardless if it's pretty, regardless if it's put together. I may see someone else struggling while I'm out and about that may have a disability and it's all about connection. Sharing your story, stop putting filters on your life. Our lives are not you know, like MTV reality shows where producers are giving us direction. But by staying true to yourself and remaining authentic, we not only allow ourselves to be vulnerable, but we also allow our vulnerability to empower and change the lives of others. So keep sharing your story. It will impact someone even if you never hear from them or you don't even know they exist. You have no idea how much you could actually change other people's lives by sharing your struggle and your stories of victory in this. So true. Lovely. Lovely quote. Okay. So give us some resources, please, about yourself. Yes. Brittany Kiros, aka a hot MS. I am such a hot mess. That's where the name came from. See, that's me being funny. Haha, <laughs> a hot mess. You can go to www.ahotms.com. If you're on Instagram, Facebook, I do have a Twitter account. I'm still learning how to use it. Uh, you can find me again, a hot MS, and I am on YouTube as well. Wow, you're everywhere. Marvelous. <laughs> a hot MS, everybody. Look it up. Look it up. You will not be disappointed. Excellent. Listen, it's been a privilege for me to talk to you today. Thank and you. To very tap, much in, to tap as into well. your world and to be able to be part of your journey and to share it so we can help other people. So, yes, again, that's what it's all about. From my heart to yours, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Good night.